Before we get going, here's the bit where I remind you that nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets. You're about to listen to a special preview edition of the Grant Williams podcast featuring my very special guest, Tian Yang of Research House Variant Perception. Variant Perception have been a long way ahead of the curve in calling for caution and risk assets coming into this year. The likelihood of inflation being a significant problem and the seriousness of the Federal Reserve in their hawkishness. Now, this conversation, we cover all those things, plus we take a look at VP's cycle work and proprietary indicators to see what they suggest for the coming months. Every episode of the Grant Williams podcast, including The Endgame, The Superdrific Happy Hour, The Narrative Game, This Week in Doom, and the new series Shifts Happen featuring Luke Groman, is available to copper and silver tier subscribers at my website, grant-williams.com. Copper tier subscribers get access to all the podcasts, while members of the silver tier get both the podcasts and my monthly newsletter, Things That Make You Go Hmm. So, if you enjoy what you hear on the show, and you want more high-quality content like it, then please make your way over to grant-williams.com and join our exciting community today. And with that, on with the show. Well, Tian, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Good to see you. It's been, uh, it's been quite a while. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great to see you. Well, we've, we've kind of put this off uh, a number of times, down to me, not you. That's been totally my fault every time. So I'm really glad we finally got a chance to do this. It's uh, such an amazing world to be staring at right now. And uh, you know, the work you guys do at Variant Perception has always been just top class for me. So I'm, I'm delighted to get a chance to actually talk to you about what your research is telling you and you know, help people understand how you reach the decisions you reach and how your signals work because they've been incredibly prescient in the last couple of years in terms of picking turning points and identifying cycles. So I think what I'd love to kick off with is to talk about the R word. You know, recession is something that's on everybody's mind at the moment. There are a lot of people that say there's going to be a global recession but not a US recession. There are people that say the US is going to caught up in it. So what I'd love to get a sense from is you is, is how you guys think about recessions and how investors should think about them. Um, yeah, I mean, that's clearly something that's very top of mind, given the you know the inversion of the yield curve to stands kind of a, a while back. So um, what, what I would say is when we think about recessions, we probably need to get away from this framework of are we in recession or not? Because, you know, eventually we are going to be in recession, right? It's right. unnecessarily actionable to be, you know, we think we're going to be in recession in two years time. So what do you do today? So I think our framework is very much about trying to make it actionable. And making actionable is about dialing down the time horizon in which we should look forward. So our recession signal generally works over the next three to four months. They tend to be you know, pretty accurate in flagging the, the start of recessions. And I think that the secret source is really to think about recessions as regime shifts rather than model it just as a normal cycle. I think we're kind of trained too much to think in terms of you know, quadrant approaches or business cycles where you know, there's this impression of the economy speeding up and it slows down and you go into recession like is this very smooth you know, process and you're into, into these kind of different quadrants. But I think if you observe the data, generally recessions are, you know, generally pretty big zero one events, right? You just go along and suddenly they happen. So you kind of need to model it as such. So, you know, there's a couple of ways we do that. One is to think about recessions as when you get hard economic data and soft financial market data, both being stressed at the same time. So that's typically, you know, that's very much like a, a regime shift where you get positive feedback loops. 
right? So say the economy slows down, earnings slows down, causes credit spreads to widen, which then in turn stresses our company balance sheet. So earnings, you know, deteriorate some more. And I think those are the, the, the situations where you really care about whether, you know, we're going to recession or not, because those are the situations where you get the cascade falls in equity markets, right? Those are the times where we're down 15%, but you shouldn't be buying the dip because there's another 20% to come. Whereas if you don't get that regime shift and you're down 15%, then arguably you should be looking more you know, where to buy the dip. Um, so, so that's, in, in, you know, very broadly speaking, you know, how, how we try and think about recessions. Um, the, the other key point I think to make is we know that, you know, the old joke is that, you know, financial markets economists are predicting you know, 10 of the last five recessions, right? And, and that's a, you know, a common trope against, you know, why bother even predicting? And, you know, I, I think that's fair enough. But a lot of that comes from, I think, a lack of breadth of inputs. So generally, a lot of things are necessary, but not sufficient conditions for recession. So, you know, a yield curve inversion is a good example. Or, you know, what's happened this year, say, when oil prices surge, that these things have been observed a lot going into recession, but they don't necessarily always lead to recession. And the key is to actually capture all of these different um, indicators and capture the breadth of them and then essentially merge them into a regime shift model so that you know we, we do kind of market switching and these kind of you know these obviously very fancy words for kind of regime shift but in, in practice we're, what we're essentially doing is saying you know there's various signs that have happened that typically are very predictive recessions let's put them all together and see if it predicts a regime change or not and, and that's how we go about it so you know as of today we still don't see an imminent u.s recession and so that obviously, you know, tilts our mindset a little bit in terms of potentially where we want to buy dips versus, you know, getting too, too bearish. Well, it's interesting because, um, you know, th this idea that we're not going to see a recession on the one hand is good news, but on the other hand, it probably means that the US central bank is going to be forced to hike more because at the moment, there are only two things that can really stop them hiking, given how hawkish they've come out and deliberately been. One is a recession and two is... A massive capitulation in risk assets and obviously they're trying to get away from that idea of the fed put and the idea that they're always going to be there and they've they've very actively tried to convince markets that they're serious this time and they will so where does that recession signal for you leave us in terms of fed policy yeah no i think you're 100 right um it's not even necessary recessions if you look at a lot of the the economic data there's there's very little room for them to be dovish if you look at the labor market we've recovered you know, the pandemic job losses, even on their own core PCE trend lines. Again, they've hit kind of the long-term 2% now because they've caught it all up. So, you know, even within the frameworks they've laid out, there's basically no room to be um, dovish. So I would say, you know, it's, it's probably not that different, this cycle versus historical cycles we've looked at for the Fed. Typically, what, what tends to happen is um, the Fed will guide the market into the hike, at, le at least in the transparent era. So then the market becomes somewhat fairly uh, priced at the front end on the first hike. But then the market historically is quite bad at pricing the magnitude of eventual hikes, right? So you end up with this buy the rumor, sell the fact on the initial Fed hike, and then you kind of trend sideways for a bit. But eventually the Fed has a tendency to hike more than everyone expects, because actually usually you, you take policy into kind of um, um, basically more hawkish than neutral, right? You take it into actual contraction territory eventually. So... I think you know that's kind of almost a setup today, right? Where the Fed's done a great job of guiding the markets to what they want, and we and we've seen when the market doesn't respond the way Powell wants, you'll come out the day after, right, or on the, on the Monday next week, say March, and be like, no, 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 you guys, the market's got it wrong. We're uber hawkish. So you can see they've done a good job of trying to guide, um, and so the market might seem fairly priced for now, but ultimately they will probably need to get to more than um, 
you know, more than neutral, right? So I think it's, it's a case of managing that transition because it's not going to be instant. So yeah, I, I think for now, it's still you know, pretty much full hawkish mode. We'll, we'll, we'll need to see headline inflation actually peak and roll over. On most of our models, we think March, April is actually the peak. Um, however, you're only going to really see that in um, kind of May, June. So that might be a, a more of a cyclical point in which to potentially look at adding duration. Um, but again, the, the bigger context here is that, let, well, let's see where they get to, right? Even if they do 50 bips, 50 bips, it's going to be a while before they get to neutral. And so this expectation that are going to stop before neutral in the face of inflation is probably a, a bit too optimistic, I would say. What did you make of the action last week after we had the 50 basis point hike, then we had the press conference, we had the 75 basis point off the table, the market rallies a thousand points. And then since then, it's been carnage. I mean, everywhere you look in markets, yeah. it's, been, it's been pretty chaotic. What, what did you guys make of that reaction? Yeah, I mean, our crystal ball now is being a little bit murky, I think. Uh, go, going into it, we did get quite a few um, kind of fairly good tactical buy signals going off um, on, the, on the initial kind of Friday crash. So these are typically good warning signs for the potential for a squeeze. And obviously, we saw the squeeze on the day. But I think maybe the, the bigger story here is ultimately that we remain in a terrible liquidity regime, right? And we have been for pretty much this year and even in the back in the last year. So, you know, the current outlook is very, well, not even outlook, the environment's been one where the traditional indicators of cyclical liquidity has been extremely bad for extended period, but they've been offset by all these pandemic one-offs, right? We know consumer access savings. We know there's like the, you know, bull perfect inventory cycle. So it's been about managing that interplay um, but as you know, for the kind of slightly frothier, higher valued assets, arguably, you know, the liquidity environment is so bad that the default should be that it's going down, that people should be selling. And it's, it's, and it's only the, the squeezes that are count, counter trends. So that, that's probably still the context in which uh, we would think about it. Although clearly the magnitude of it is pretty extreme, right? And then it's yeah. quite surprising if you look at the levels, because typically these price actions will be indicative of quite a lot of, say, negative gamma amongst dealers. So, you know, the, you get to a certain level. But if you look at proxies, the negative gamma is probably more like down here, S&P 4000 range, right? So, so yeah, um, yeah I, I don't have a bad answer to that. But I think um, it, it does fit with the general kind of, um, you know, very bad liquidity environment we're in. Well, you, you brought up liquidity a couple of times there. So let's talk about that for a moment, because... Liquidity is always there and it always has been there. And sometimes it's been abundant, sometimes it's been tight. But until these last couple of decades where the central banks have resorted to liquidity as the solution to every problem that they've previously created, it wasn't that liquidity wasn't around. It just it ebbed and flowed naturally without any outside agencies injecting it to kind of surplus amounts. So, so how do you guys define liquidity? How, how is that definition come to change over the years to try and take into account this kind of abnormal liquidity that the market has now come to almost rely on? Yeah, no, I think that, that's a great question. And clearly, it's something very top of mind. You know, liquidity means something different to everyone, it seems. Um, yeah. what, what I would say is, for us, our, as much as it may be surprising, our definition of liquidity has not changed for the history of, of VP. Right? At this point, we've been going 12, 13 years, and it has worked for that whole period, in my mind. So. You know, it's about what we would call excess liquidity, right? So most measures of liquidity, right. I think um, you hear in the market, they, they tend to be coincident with price moves rather than leading, right? So, you, you know, you've all heard of stuff like, you know, long growth, right? M2 to GDP, you know, that's the financial conditions indices from Goldman, Morgan Stanley and so forth. Full conversation is available to subscribers to the copper and silver tiers of my website, 
grant-williams.com. Nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets.